Good day and welcome to episode Svatos of the Unparalleled Success Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Woods. With me on the show today will be NKB. He is the managing editor for Silver Seven Sens, and I've been a fan of the website for quite a while now, and I've been a big fan of his contributions to the website. He is such a knowledgeable guy, not only about the Ottawa Senators, but about hockey, and he, as he will talk about in the episode, has written over 600 articles now for the website. So he's a really great guest that I I was very excited to have on the show. It's Sunday morning right now as I'm recording the intro and editing the episode, and we recorded the episode last night, which was just before Game 5 of the Stanley Cup Finals between Dallas and Tampa. So we'll talk a little bit about the beginning of how he became a Sense fan. We're going to talk about how he got into writing for Silver 7. We, of course, will be discussing the new jerseys that uh, Ottawa with the rebrand back to the 2D logo, as well as the departures of Bobby Ryan, Craig Anderson, and Mark Borwiecki. And we will look forward to the draft and free agency, which is coming up as well. And of course, as always, we will relive some Sens nostalgia as I will ask Nate who his favorite senator of all time is, what his favorite game and goal memories are, as well as if he has ever met a NHL player or any celebrities and his answer does not disappoint. All that content and much more coming up in episode Svatos of the Unparalleled Success Podcast. Alexi Yashin, Chris Phillips, Ball, Geddes, Mollett, Mike Fisher, Marion Hosa, Martin Havlat, Pizza Line, Ray Emery, Brian Murray, Redden, Lee Cowan, Smith, Neal, Fat by Guide, Walrus, Chara, Heatley, Alfie, all left the team, Andrew Hammond, Kyle Tursa, Benajat, Double D on Mark Stone, Carlson, Matt Duchesne to single, Hogberg, Shabata, Chuck, unparalleled success. We didn't start the rebuild. It was always brewing since 2009 We didn't start the rebuild No, we didn't start it, but this time we've got it Joining me on the show today is Nate. He is the managing editor for Silver 7 Cents, writing under the name NKB. How's it going? Feel good. Trying to enjoy these uh, last few days of warm weather before uh, we settle in for whatever this winter is going to be. So I'm, I'm doing good. How about you? I'm living the dream. This is the first time I've done one of the episodes of the podcast for a little while now since the beginning of the playoffs, I think. So we've got a lot going on in Sen's world to talk about. So it's about time that we, we roll out one of the episodes and talk about it. Yeah, I'm, I'm ready for it. Let's, let's go over all right. We're going to start off uh, with the very beginning, and I'll ask you when you started watching hockey and how did you become a fan of the Ottawa Senators? That's a really good question. Uh, it's actually something, it's funny you mentioned this, I've been at the site for so long now that I've gone through kind of various iterations of the staff, and every once in a while we go through this exercise where we introduce everyone, we talk about our kind of history as a Sens fan. So hopefully uh, I'm going to keep my story straight here, but my first memory of watching and playing hockey um, is from the early 90s. 
um, when there wasn't an Ottawa Senators team, uh, when it was the Montreal Canadiens, uh, because that was my dad's team uh, when I was a kid. So I actually wasn't originally a Sens fan. Uh, and then when the team arrived in 92, 93, I would have been seven. And they were bad. They were, <laughs> they were really, really bad. Uh, and Montreal won the Stanley Cup. Uh, and I have a very vivid, vivid memory of watching Montreal win the Stanley Cup with my dad. And it was a very kind of exciting time for everybody. Uh, and then I went um, and lived overseas. I mean, my family went, we lived overseas for three years. And when I came back um, and I was 10 and I started playing, you know, minor hockey um, and people had Sens jerseys and the Sens were no longer terrible. Like they weren't good but they were no longer like the worst thing ever. Uh, and so when I came back, it was kind of easy to, to jump into that. And that's, that's kind of how I became a, a sense fan was, you know, returning back to Canada, doing the kind of classic Canadian kid thing. Um, and the sense were kind of there and waiting for me, the Habs weren't good anymore. So it was pretty easy to slide in as a sense fan at that point. Well, personally, I think you made an excellent decision. <laughs> Yeah, I don't regret it. <laughs> what made what inspired you to make the transition into covering the Sens, and how did the opportunity come about for you writing for Silver Seven? Sure, that's that's a good question. Um, it feels weird, by the way, that people are asking me about like my quote unquote uh, career arc, but here we are. Um, I was very active on sends message boards in like 2010 you know kind of through 2012 uh i was you know a big ottawa senators fan i had been a big i became like a really big ottawa senators fan when i was a teenager basically and kind of had continued to be a big sense fan um and i was living and still actually do live in toronto and so it was hard for me to find people that i could watch the games with and so I started frequenting the Silver Sevens chat board, basically. Um, this was kind of like 2010, maybe 2012 kind of era. Uh, and I was kind of really active on, on there. I, one of the things I really remembered about the site uh, when I first started reading it was the game day threads. So people would, especially during the playoffs and especially during that 2012 kind of 13 run, um, you know, very, very active, uh, lively chats on, on the team site, um, kind of almost like a precursor. I know Twitter already existed then, but kind of a precursor to the way that Twitter exists today. Um, just a sense of community of watching the team. And so I'd done that for a little while. Um, and when I was, you know, considering what I was going to do with my life, uh, when I went to university, I had thought about doing, a sports journalism degree and I kind of chickened out, um, which, you know, I, in some ways I regret in some ways I don't. Um, but I, I did a bunch of, uh, liberal arts classes in, in undergrad. Like I, I've done English and, and history. And so I knew how to write a little bit and I thought it would be fun to write about the sense. Um, and I kind of, from being so active on the chat, uh, message board sorry um i was able to kind of pitch it to the the site manager at the time and say hey what if you what if you brought me on board so i've actually been writing for silver seven cents for six and a half years now which is kind of funny to think about um 
I started in the, the fall, uh, sorry, the spring of 2014. Um, and yeah, it's been, it's been going since I took over as the site's manager about a year and a half ago now. Um, and yeah, it's, it's been great. I was looking at it because I knew we were going to talk about this before, uh, we got on this call and I have now written almost, uh, 600 articles for the site, which is a crazy thing to think about. <laughs> um, but there we are. That's awesome. One thing I love about Silver 7 that you touched on is that you're from Toronto and I know Brandon Mackey's also from Toronto. So even though yep. you're surrounded by Leafs fans where you're from, the website brings everyone from the Sentence fan base together. And it's my favorite place for touching base with all the other sense fans because we we seem outnumbered all the time but when we're on that site it's a great community and like you said in the playoffs when we're doing well like the game threads and articles on game day they get like 500 plus comments and it's awesome when the team's doing well yeah it's a really cool thing um you know yeah it's, it's a really cool thing to be able to bring fans together um you know, that are not necessarily in the city. I think we have a lot of like the majority of our, our readers are in Ottawa, but I know, you know, we have readers all over Canada. And I also know they're kind of in a cool way that we have a lot of readers outside of the country. Even there's a number of kind of the, some of the regular commenters who are from the U S and I also know there's some who live in Australia and kind of Asia. So it's really cool. It's a really cool community. And before we move on and talk about the Sens right now and all the news coming out, is there a favorite article that you have written for Silver 7? That's a really good question. Um, I, I picked two. I kind of, again, I kind of knew this question was coming, so I, I, I thought about it a little bit. Um, one of them actually was from right near the start of my time, uh, writing at Silver 7, and it was... Uh, like 10 games into Mark Stone's rookie campaign, uh, the 2014-15 season. Um, and he came out and just kind of immediately blew everyone away. And um, it was, at least to me, really apparent that he was going to be really good. Um, and I wrote this article about how I thought he was, like, really great. And, you know, we'd only really seen him play, like, 15 NHL games at the time. But I was saying, I, I think this guy's going to be like the real deal, like not just good. He's going to be like really, really good. And I feel very confident about that. Um, and that was really cool to, I mean, eventually be very right about it. At the time, it, I don't think it was quite so obvious. He hadn't played that many games. Um, so that, that was cool. But the, the reason I really like that article beyond just the kind of, you know, prognostication part of it is Mark Stone is actually someone that, um, I wasn't like super high on as a prospect. He like, wasn't a good skater. Um, you know, I kind of felt like he was a little bit overhyped based on being on the team Canada juniors team, which can sometimes lead to players getting really overhyped. Um, and then I saw him play first in the kind of in the playoffs at one time against the Rangers. And then that year in 14, 15, and he played like a style of game that I loved. I just loved how Mark Stone played hockey. And I was like, okay, I've got to write about this guy. Uh, and then it was really cool. They turned out to be so good. Um, and then the other article that I, that I really like um, is actually from when um, Steve Downey kind of went after Don Cherry a little bit. Uh, I don't know if you remember this it was in like kind of 
winter of 2016 and it was the first time that i can really remember anyone kind of letting don cherry know what was up a little bit um and you know eventually everything that's happened with with don since um but i i i thought that was an important thing to write about i've i've played a lot of hockey i consume a lot of hockey i've thought a lot about like the culture of hockey and you know i think it's a topic that bears a lot of discussion and so i i'm proud of that article too that one that one turned out well now that you bring that article up i i I vaguely remember it and at the time because steve downey is not a fan favorite in ottawa Mm -hmm. obviously Mm -hmm. but uh no just the opinion and don cherry obviously how long it took for him to finally be told to step down by sportsnet four years later from that incident and many people have thought that cherry had been out of touch for decades now anyway so it's pretty crazy how long it has taken for Mm -hmm. culture in hockey to finally begin to move in the right direction yeah so yeah that's a great article that you brought up that i it's sort of funny that i vaguely remember it too (laughs) it was um I, I don't remember the exact numbers now. It's funny. It, it actually doesn't have a whole ton of comments, but it is uh, by far the most read article I've ever written. And that's because Downey uh, shared it and then Cherry reacted to it. And then it just kind of went crazy. Um, so it's funny that you remember that. All right. Moving on to the Sens news that has been coming out for weeks now. A lot of changes happening around the team, including roster changes and the rebrand. What was your initial reaction to the Sens officially announcing and unveiling the new 2D logo this week? Uh, so I guess I had two thoughts. The, the first one uh, was that I'm, I, I'm happy about it and I'm glad they're doing it because I really did not enjoy the 3d centurion not really my my cup of tea i know it's been the the logo kind of for a while um you know they've the transition to the heritage show and all that but that's kind of been you know the principal jersey for a long time so i'm pretty excited about the 2d um not just for nostalgia reasons like i think it actually looks pretty clean i think it looks pretty good um i'm gonna say a bit of a funny thing here though i kind of wish they had a third jersey or some kind of really throwback merch with the old uh peace tower logo because that was the first sense jersey that i can remember like from when i was really like a kid and my i forget who it was someone got me at one of those jerseys when i was a kid and i still I don't, I think it's somewhere in my parents' basement. I love that weird Peace Tower jersey. And I feel like if they did something cool with it, you could make it like a really cool kind of retro merch. So that's what I'm actually really hoping for is is that eventually we get some sort of sweet Peace Tower merch. I love that take because I've heard many arguments. Everybody loves the O jerseys and people have made arguments for sticking with the 3D and there's a large portion of the fan base that's excited about going back to the 2D logo. And I've heard arguments for the uh, 
like the swipe jersey, like with the red and black that we wore in the 07 playoffs. But I've never heard anyone make an argument for the Peace Tower, so that's hilarious. <laughs> Shows you. I mean, I'm dating myself a little bit there, but um, but yeah, it's that, that the Peace Tower jersey has has real nostalgia for me. Um, the other thing I'm just I, to kind of I guess answer the other part of your question that you're asking. You know, what do I think about the announcement? Um, I think it's a bit of a bummer that it's not like a huge deal, but it is a bit of a bummer that they weren't able to um, keep it under wraps until the draft, like that they were basically forced by the leaks at, you know, giant tiger and wherever to, to release it. Do you know what I mean? And this kind of like, kind of uh, uh, underplayed media announcement. I really wish that they could have like at the draft been like, we're drafting third and fifth. Here are sweet, exciting new prospects. And then also, here's our sweet new rebrand. I, I, I kind of wish they'd been able to hold off on that, but I don't know. That's kind of a minor complaint. Were you a part of the fan base that would you have said that you were begging for the 2D logo to come back? Or was there like a direction you were hoping for them to go and just like come up with a completely new idea besides the, uh, but the, besides the peace tower? <laughs> that's a good question uh i mean also like i should be clear i know the peace tower is not like a, a legitimate first jersey i just think it would be cool retro jersey um no i i'm not i'm not someone who is super particular about the jersey stuff um i do i do think the the 2d looks good i think it looks sharp and you know with with the right finishing touches i think it can be like a really good kit so um I'm pretty on I'm pretty on board with it but I I also don't like I don't have the strongest opinions on it like I have one of the SN you know Sens SNES jerseys right like <laughs> I bought I bought that jersey so I'm I'm not a hard target in terms of marketing <laughs> materials too I was never a huge fan of the SNES jersey but uh, I found a huge bargain back in March someone was selling an Alfie snes jersey for 15 bucks on the marketplace so i drove an hour to pick it up and uh i'm glad that i have it in the collection now but only for that reason <laughs> yeah i know i i think we can all agree that objectively the snes jersey is not good <laughs> but but it's there it's part of our heritage as it were would you plan on purchasing any of the new jerseys and if so which player would you get on the jersey and why that's a really that's a really good question i i thought about this a little bit after they traded stone because you know i already talked about that article he when when mark stone kind of turned out to be the type of player he was who is basically my favorite type of player someone who just like more than just, you know, his kind of like competitiveness, which is cool, the way that he played where he just always valued having the puck, like, you know, just, and such a smart player. He was basically my kind of ideal sense forward. Um, I got a stone jersey, which is very unusual for me. Um, I don't have very many player jerseys. Uh, I have a fair amount of, of sense kind of merch, but not player name bar name plates. Um, and I got the stone Jersey, whatever it was four years ago. Cause I, I don't know. I like naively thought that, that Mark stone was going to be in Ottawa, like, you know, not forever, but you know, for a long time. And so, you know, the last few years have 
really made me very cynical about the team's ability to hold on to its players. Um, I don't think unfairly so. So who who would I who would I choose? I I definitely will buy a two D two D jersey at some point. If I was going to put a nameplate on it, it would probably be Chabot, um, just because I mean he signed forever. But also, I really like the way Chabot plays. I know right now Kachuk is the kind of the fan favorite, and I think he's great, and people love him, and that's you know good for them. God bless, but. Um, Chabot is really like he's my kind of guy. Uh, so if I was if I was going to put a name, it would be it would be Chabot. It's funny that you were talking about Mark Stone and how he was only there from 2014, 15, 15, 16 as when he like uh, really kicked off, and then he was traded in 2019. So a solid five year run, and it's. It doesn't seem like that long, but considering uh, that the longest tenured player now on Ottawa is Nick Paul, I guess that uh, five years is a pretty long time to be an Ottawa senator. Yeah, actually, it's it. I, I agree. That's kind of a that's a bit of a, a sad situation. The other thing, though, is I kind of feel like we've forgotten that Nick Paul is is secretly not that young anymore. Like Nick Paul was involved in the Jason Spezza trade, right? Uh, and he's 25 years old. Like he's not 21. He's, you know, this, it, it feels like he's been the next thing forever. And so now he's, well, surprise, he's actually 25. Yeah, I I agree. And, uh, I wasn't planning on talking about Nick Paul on this episode, but seeing as we're on the topic now and he's an RFA, he just had his career year. Are you, are you hoping that they bring him back on a, like another one year or something similar to that? Yeah. So um, I think Nick Paul saved his career by having the season that he did. Basically. Um, I don't think he would have had many more chances to be an NHL player. If he, if he didn't have the season he did, I was, I was basically in the camp that he's sorry, he's just not an NHL player, Um, but he was actually really good in the role that DJ Smith had him with um, Peugeot and and, uh, Connor Brown. Like he was, he was quite effective as a defensive player. Um, I don't think Nick Paul's like an essential guy to have on your team. Um, But you know, he does some stuff really well. And if you gave, if you brought him back on like a two or a three year deal um, where he knows that what he's doing is playing fourth line, uh, or maybe, you know, maybe extends up to the third line and he's good with that role. And, you know, he is able to kind of help the, some of the younger guys along a little bit. I'd be perfectly open to that. I don't think, you know, you, you need to carve a space out on the team for Nick Paul, but if he's, if he's, if he's there, like he, he helps in the bottom six for sure. We as Sens fans have been saying our thank yous and goodbyes to a few fan favorites over the past few weeks now. It started with uh, Mark Borowiecki removing all of his references to the Sens on social media before it was announced that uh, he was going to be, he will be testing the open market. With Boro being drafted in 2008, he was the longest tenured senator, so we had to say goodbye to him. After a career year, he had 18. 0.7 goals in just 53 games this year. What do you think of Pierre Dorian and the Ottawa Senators' decision to let Borvietsky walk this offseason? 
Orvieski is one of the most interesting players to me, maybe in all of the time I've been writing about the Senators. So Borbievsky, um, when he first joined the Sens, I was really not a fan. And, you know, I've written this and you can check my Twitter feed. Like, I'm not going to pretend otherwise. Like, I was not a fan um, because he really was playing a style of game that to me wasn't suited to the, like the area, the era that he existed in, right? Like he was basically kind of hit everything that moves, chip it off the glass and change. And if he'd been, you know, playing NHL hockey in 1999, that would have been a really effective style of play. But by the time he got to the NHL, you know, it just was not an effective style of play. The Sens were getting shelled all the time when he was on the ice. Um, and, you know, I didn't know anything about the guy personally, but I just was not a fan of his style of play. Um, but two things happened. Uh, maybe three years ago, I, I can't remember exactly when I first started noticing this, but someone got into Boro's ear and told him, you've got to do more with the puck. You've got to figure out a way to impact the game more than just, you know, trying to throw bone crunching hits all the time. And he honest to God made big improvements in that area of his game. Like he became to me a much more reliable options on the back end. And you can see it in his results. Like if you look at, you know, any kind of shot metric, any kind of chance metric that like, you know, measures these kinds of things, he was doing a lot better. And you can also see it if you look at his penalty minute stats, like in 2016, 17, he took 154 minutes of penalties in 70 games, okay? And the next season, he took 64 minutes in penalties. Dick, he honestly changed the way he was playing, and he became a better player. Um, I was reading the article that uh, Haley Salvian, who's the, um, beat, the Sense beat writer for The Athletic, uh, wrote about uh, Borbievsky when it kind of became apparent that he was going to leave. And... One of the things that he said in the article, there's like a quote from him, which wasn't, I guess, from this summer, but from earlier, where he was talking about when he got to the NHL, he was just kind of told to hit everything that walk, that walks, right? Like that was the instruction on how to play. And I, I again, I don't know exactly when it changed, but he kind of figured it out. And so, you know, if we'd been having this conversation three years ago, I would have been totally blase about it. The guy's leaving, whatever. I honestly think he's a, a more than serviceable third pairing guy now. Like he, I think he's pretty decent uh, for that role. Uh, he's been around the block a lot. He clearly works hard. Um, and on top of that, he seems from what we can see, like a really genuinely good dude. And so, you know, are, are they letting a, a kind of a third pairing go guy and a uh, guy go and, you know, should we get worked up about that? I, on the one hand, no. On the other hand, it just seems like, why this guy? Like, he's your hometown player. He lives up to all the kind of work ethic character stuff you talk about. There's no way he'd be that expensive to bring back. And I think he's actually a serviceable player now. Like, I, so yeah, it, it feels weird to say, considering kind of my positions on him when he first joined the sense. But yeah, I'm, I'm a bit bummed that they're letting him go. It's a, it kind of sucks. One thought that I had to build off of your 
he that he's the hometown guy is it was sort of a huge joke a few years ago how many local boys the Sens had with CC and Peugeot and Borvietsky. But when you compare the three of them, we finally got rid of CC and it was a fantastic trade because we got Connor Brown for him and everybody loved Connor Brown this year and we were able to get what was considered a great return for Peugeot with the first round pick and the second round picks as well. So considering the value we got for those two guys, if we were to hang on to just one local guy, which I, I kind of like the idea of having the one local guy to hang on to, because it's not as much as a joke as it was a few years ago. Now, if you hung on to Mark Borvietsky for a few more years while we're building our blue line for the future, because we're not going to be looking to make the playoffs next year per se. But if we would have brought him back on a one-year deal, he's the local guy after a career, I would have been very much okay with that. Yeah, totally. I'm, I'm someone who, you know, in general is like a little bit skeptical of the, um, you know, you need veterans around argument, veterans around argument. Um, but, you know, at the same time, they're like, especially for a very young team that you're hoping to kind of, you know, show them the way to be a good professional and all that, you need at least some. You can't, <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm, I'm open to the argument that you need, you know, a couple of guys that know what they're doing. And you look at the players that the Sens actually have signed for next year. Um, the only guy over 30 right now uh, is Artem Anisimov. That's it. Uh, Anders Nielsen is a goalie, but, you know, n- there's no other skater over the age of 30. And to me, that, like, man, I don't know. Even as someone who's, like, a little bit skeptical of the whole veteran thing, I really feel like having a guy like Borgowski in the room would be a benefit. Like, I, it's hard for me to see how it wouldn't be helpful. I was just thinking that uh, that's a great point. And I was, I have been thinking a lot about veteran players and I've been reading a lot of comments on social media, people saying, how are we going to get to the next level? Albeit with the immense amount of talent we have in the prospect system and already like cracking the lineup in Ottawa is how are we going to get to the next level without any veterans? And I was thinking of, like some of the most successful teams of the past decade, like Pittsburgh and Chicago. And when Crosby joined the league in 2005, six with the Penguins, they had Sergei Gonchar, Mark Recchi, and like the tail end of Mario Lemieux's career. So they had a few key guys that even when they were still a horrible team, they had those veterans to help out. So Obviously, Ottawa doesn't have a Mario Lemieux to help mold Brady to tuck into a Sidney Crosby. But to a certain extent, I do agree that we, that we should have a few more veteran players just to help these guys take the next step. Yeah, I, it's, it's like, I think it's a mistake to assume that you need, you know, half vets and half youth or whatever and that, I, I really think Ottawa's got enough players that are, you know, like 20, 21, 22, that, you know, they're not 18 anymore. They should be playing NHL games. This should be a young team. Um, so in that sense, that's all good. But 
yeah, like, you know, one or two good bets, especially a guy like Borowiecki, who really, who really seems like an honest to God, good guy. Um, and, you know, embodies all the kind of hard work uh, ethos that, you know, you claim to be all about. I would really have been very much on board with that, which is, again, I think a really funny thing for me to realize I'm saying, like, you know, based on my position a few years ago, but he's, he's, he honestly won me over in, in his role. Like, I don't think he's a top pairing guy, but as a guy on your third pair who, you know, shows the kids the ropes, I, I think he would have been great. The Sens also informed Craig Anderson he won't be offered a contract for next season. And it's just funny because he would have been the team's second longest tenure player after Boro. And I don't think there's much argument to be made about if the Sens made the right decision letting Anderson walk because of his age and where we are right now. But the question I did want to ask was, what do you make of the Sens' goaltending situation heading into next season? It's a really good question. I'm more okay with it than the, the general consensus seems to be um, because I'm, I, I guess two reasons. One, I'm, I, I think it's time for Marcus Hoberg to like, let's see what's up. Um, one of the things I've been reading about, you know, you read about Sen's commentary and the general kind of rumors around the team and they're talking about trading potentially a pick for a goalie, which I think would be a, a huge mistake. Um, Marcus Hogberg's 25 and he's not 19 anymore. He's not, you know, some inexperienced goalie. He's been uh, in North America playing, you know, pro hockey um, for five years, basically. He is shown himself to at least be worthy of the opportunity, in my opinion. And we kind of need to know what's up at, at this point, right? You know, you, you can't make a judgment on a goalie who's only played 28 NHL games. But he plays, you know, 50 or 60 games this year. And, and you know, we can figure out what's going on with the guy. Maybe he's, maybe he's the goalie of the future, but we can't know until we try. And the other reason that I'm okay with that is that the Sens are not going to be good next season. Like, I, I hate to be the bearer of bad news in this regard, but I just don't see how they can be good. Um, Maybe they won't be as bad as this past season. I hope they're not as bad as this past season, but they're they're not going to be good. There's no, to me, there's no conceivable situation in which they're competing for the playoffs. I think a good season for them would be, you know, to finish like 85 to 88 points or something, you know, just, just barely over 500. Um, that would be like a good outcome. Um, they're just so thin on the blue line. Then, they're, they've got potential up front, but there are a lot of question marks. They're just, they're not going to be a good team. So what, like, what's the rush? Why, why bring in, you know, a stopgap starter for a team that's not going to be good? I just, I don't see the point. So uh, in a perfect situation, Nielsen's healthy. Um, we, I, the, the kind of, you know, reporting is that he's fine, but he hasn't played a game in a long time and concussions are scary. So, I'm you know I'm a little bit uncertain there. In a perfect world, Hogberg's the starter, and Nielsen backs him up, and you get that's your tandem. Um, in a less perfect world, um, either Gustafsson or Dacor are backing up Hogberg. But you've got three guys. I I I I'm fine with it to be honest with you. I I I don't see any need for them to to do more than they're trying to do if they were if this was a team that was like legitimately good 
and you know the aspirations here were to you know contend for an eastern conference title or to you know be a meaningful player in the playoffs i would see it differently you know maybe then it would be time to to try to trade for a, a, an established goalie but team's not gonna be good next year i agree and this is one area where i've changed my thought process over the past few weeks because I was of the belief that when we are trying to contend, I think that one thing we will need is an established top 10 goaltender. Yep. And that's why I was high on the idea of making the offer to Robin Leonard or Jacob Markstrom and having the Swedish, the Swedish tandem with them and Hogberg, because one of my favorite parts of last season was watching Marcus Hogberg play and the amount of 10-bell saves he made. There were some overtime games that should not have been overtime games, and they should not have gone to the shootout, which it sucks that he lost all of the shootouts he was in. But it was just amazing to watch him play in his rookie season considering the quality of saves he made and the performances that he provided behind the defense that we all know is very bad. So I agree with you that it would be awesome to give him a chance. And the second thing that changed my thought process on that was that if we bring in a guy this offseason like Leonard or Markstrom, which is just sort of sucks that this is the season when the most starting goaltenders have been available in a little while on the UFA market, but uh, the expansion draft next year, if we bring in a starter for this season, then we're probably going to lose either Hogberg or Decord to Seattle because that's the most likely scenario I see playing out if either of them are exposed. So, so I agree with you that uh, we can roll this year because we're not going to be good. We may as well give Hogberg the starts and he was so exciting to watch last year that I want to see him play. But to close out my thought on goaltending here with Craig Anderson, do you think the Sens should retire his number? That's such a good question. I have thought about this a lot in the context of um, other Sens players, you know, Phillips, and then the the really spicy debate I think is is Neil, but we'll set that one aside for another day. Um, I think no. Ultimately, I say no. Um, I'm a bit of a curmudgeon when it comes to, to number retirements. Like, I really feel you should be retiring only the numbers of the truly exceptional players in team history. And, you know, they need to have a certain amount of longevity, which I think Anderson has. He played in Ottawa for a long time when it was all said and done. Um, but he was pretty consistently like one of the 10 best goalies in the league, but I don't think there was, I don't think you can ever point to a stretch where he was like the best goalie in the league. Do you know what I mean? Um, He was all, there were always a couple guys ahead of him. Um, The, I think the Alfredson Jersey retirement is, is an obvious one to me played his whole career, except that one year in, (laughs) in Ottawa um, top of the NHL level talent, slam dunk um carlson's going to be interesting because he's ended up not playing that many years and so if you wanted to tell me not enough time then i i could have some sympathy i think because he was so exceptional i would i would be tempted to to retire his jersey like he was the best defenseman in the league for you know five years while he was in ottawa um but that's the type of player that i would 
make that, that kind of like exception for. And then if it, if I had it my way, that's, you know, you would only ever have like four or five jerseys, you know, retired, right? You're not retiring. If you're retiring Craig Anderson's jersey, you know, you're retiring, like, I, I, I don't want to say Chris Phillips, you know, tear the jersey down or anything like that. I'm not, I'm not trying to be rude to Chris Phillips, but like, I wouldn't have retired Chris Phillips's jersey. I just feel like those guys should be in the Ring of Honor. That's what the Ring of Honor is for. The Ring of Honor is like a cool place to honor the impactful players in your team's history. And, you know, you get the name up there. Um, that's great. I just, to retire the jersey, I feel like it need to be exceptional and have been with the team for a long time. So, sorry, Craig Anderson, I would say no. And finally, the the third player that uh, has left the team as recent as today, Bobby Ryan was placed on waivers yesterday. Of course, the buyout was made official today. Coming off the roller coaster of a season that he had, we all know the story, and of course, winning the Bill Masterton. What do you think of the timing of the sense decision to buy out Bobby Ryan? It's a, I mean, it's a bummer. I feel like I've said that a couple times already, but it, it, it kind of sucks, man. Like Bobby Ryan, kind of like Borowiecki for me anyways, who is not a player that I was always a huge fan of. I kind of came around on, on Bobby Ryan a little bit, even before this season, um, because I felt like he was getting a little bit more flack than was deserved um, because of his contract, of course. But the timing really sucks because it makes it really clear to me. Anyways, I know there are going to be some sense fans who want to argue with me about this because I see them in the comment sections of our website or on Twitter all the time but it makes it really clear to me that it's about saving Eugene Melnick money. That's like, that's it. You know, there are side benefits this, you know, and, and the Sens really went out of their way to broadcast those sides benefits because they're aware of how bad the perception is that Melnick is just pocketing money left, right and center where he can. The side benefits being, you know, you open up roster spots for the kids, which is not nothing, but the, the motivating factor is to save Eugene Melnick money. And that's a bummer. Like that sucks. It sucks that, you know, there are so many moves that the team has made in the last kind of four or five years that were like nakedly about, you know, penny pinching. And that, that sucks from my perspective. That's the part of the Bobby Ryan move that, that kind of sucks. Like you can make a decent case to me that, it was time to move on to move on from him. And, you know, maybe he was only going to play a, a third line role this year. Like, I mean, whatever, again, I don't think the Sens are going to be good next year. So I don't think it matters too much, but the fact that it really was, you know, about saving Eugene Melnick a couple of bucks that that's, that's a bummer. I was pretty bummed out about it yesterday, mostly because with my name being Ryan, I loved having a player on the team with my <laughs> name, but, uh, I, I've been bummed out about a lot of moves over the past few years, and it doesn't do me any good to continue to be bummed out about it because when you look at the bigger picture, we all know that we all know Eugene Melnick. We all know he's cheap. We all know what we think of him. But uh, if you try and put the negativity aside and look at the big picture here, we have so many vacant roster spots. 
and $22 million to spend just to reach the cap floor. It's going to be even more different than last year when Melnick was saying that we were going to have 10 to 15 players on the opening roster who have never played in the (laughs) league before. Like this year, it's going to be the same, if not more to the extreme. So I'm excited to see what Dorian is going to pull off at the draft or free agency because he's talked about maybe moving some of the picks to bring in experienced top six player or looking at the UFA market. And there's lots of options there. So I'm just interested to look towards the future and see what he has up his sleeve. I'm not going to speculate, but if you wanted to speculate a little bit. Well, so that's, it's interesting you say that. I, first of all, I'll say I, I admire your optimism. Um, I, there's certainly a, a cadre of fans like yourself who, um, you know, try to soldier on uh, in the face of Eugene, Eugene Melnick's miserly behavior. Um, and, you know, I, 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 I sincerely like, honestly, good for you, man. I, I wish it didn't bother me as much as it does. Um, my, I, I think that the Sens are actually, in a lot of ways, in a very enviable position. Um, I think you hit the nail on the head when you said the team has the potential to be very different next year. It has the potential to have a lot of young players. It could be really exciting. And if they play their hand right, you know, we, we could be looking at some good times. So I, you know, I am also excited about that. If I was Eugene, if I was Pierre Dorian, if I, was, <laughs> I would never be Eugene Malik, but if I was Pierre Dorian, what I would really be trying to do is trying to pry um, some really good prospects or high draft picks out of teams that are in really bad cap kind of hell. Um, And I hope that's the route that they go down. I I kind of worry a little bit, like when the rumors came out that they were going to be trading picks for like good top six guys, like there could be situations where that works out really well. Like if they figure out a way to, you know, trade some picks for like Anthony Sorelli or some, you know, someone like that who's on who's on the Lightning. The Lightning have big time cap problems coming up. They're going to have to move off of some players. I would be really excited for that. I would be a lot less excited if you know you look at that same team. They're trying to go after someone like Alex Kalorn, who like I whatever Alex Kalorn is just kind of a guy. Like I would I would be a lot less excited about that. So. I, I, in terms of my speculation about what the Sens will do, I, I don't really have sources that are in kind of any way reliable with this stuff. So I'm, you know, I, I read the same stuff you do. What I hope they do though, is that they use their like kind of bounty of, of picks if needed. And, you know, if not really use the cap space to, you know, get some teams that are in a, in a pinch try to get some valuable assets out of them. That would be, that would really be my approach here. Um, and I, I hope, I really hope that they're willing to go down that road. Like, you know, someone as, as easy as like, I mean, the jets are in a lot of cap trouble too. Um, you know, Vegas is not looking good from a cap perspective. There's a variety of players on these teams that if the Sens get creative, um, they could get, or they could get some, you know, really high draft picks from those teams. So that that's the route I would go if I was them. And finally, to finish off our 
series here on departing players. What are your favorite memories for any of Borbietsky, Anderson, or Ryan's careers as Ottawa Senators? Yeah, good question. Um, so for for Bobby Ryan, I think the there are two big moments that I really enjoyed. Um, one is kind of less notable because it just happened during a random regular season game, but the goal he scored against the LA Kings when he walked Drew Doughty. Uh, and then I think it's Quick who's in net and he makes this incredible move to tuck it in. One of my favorite goals ever scored by an Ottawa Senator, just in terms of the skill of the goal. I'm sure most Sens fans will kind of be vaguely familiar with it, but if you go watch the YouTube video, Bobby Ryan, LA Kings, it's just a stunning piece of skill, the kind of skill that when you saw Bobby Ryan, you know, display, you, you know, had high hopes that he was going to be, you know, a star winger. It's a bit of a disappointment. He never became that guy, but that was like the, the, the kind of the peak of his skill right there. Uh, and then obviously the other cool Bobby Ryan memory is, um, the overtime goal from game one against Pittsburgh in 2017. That was a really cool moment. Um, I don't know. I was watching it with um, my wife and uh, a couple of friends, I think, um, who, from Ottawa. Um, and I don't know why, but when he got that breakaway, I just knew he was going to score. It was it was kind of a funny thing. Like sometimes you get little premonitions, and he got the breakaway. And I was like, oh, it's Bobby Ryan. Bobby Ryan's going to score. So that was really that was really cool. I was really happy for him. He seemed seemed very happy um my favorite mark borgievsky moment uh actually i can't remember which game it was but there was one game this season when he scored a goal and just had this amazing celebration like he was like kind of a, a goal scorer he kind of did this like slide across the ice i can't remember the exact situation it was just it was kind of cool to see a guy who really had not scored a lot of NHL goals you know kind of he got he got hot for a little bit there and it might have even scored in consecutive games I can't remember I just have this memory of him celebrating like he was like a goal scorer and it was pretty cool uh to see a guy like that have a moment like that um and then obviously the Craig Anderson one it's super cliche but that game in Edmonton um when he came back and he got the shutout um when his when Nicole uh, his wife was battling cancer like that was that was really cool. Like Craig Anderson's been around for a long time and he's a lot of, you know, cool individual performances, but it's, I mean, it's, it's pretty hard to top that one. That's, that's, that's the best one. I really enjoy all the memories that you brought up. If you don't mind, I would love to share some of mine as well. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead, man. Yeah. For, for Bobby Ryan, I love that you brought up the Tampa Bay or the, uh, the LA goal because, <laughs> uh, I, I know that I've personally watched it a handful of times and the fact that it was assisted by Cowan and Griba make the goal 10 times better, I think. Yeah, I totally agree. But uh, he scored a similar one against Tampa Bay that I remember as well. And then also my favorite Bobby Ryan memory isn't even from when he was in Ottawa, but it was from when he played for Anaheim and in the playoffs when he completely undressed David Legwand. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. That's my favorite goal of all time. So I love watching that clip on YouTube from time to time. It was from the 2011 playoffs, Anaheim versus Nashville. Bobby Ryan, go-ahead goal in the third period. The the triple deke was, was fantastic. So that's my Bobby Ryan memory that I wanted to put in there. That's For cool. Borvietsky, 
I'm going to be going old school on all of these uh, these players with my favorite memories for them. I don't even remember what year it was, but it was earlier on in Borowiecki's career. And I don't even know if it was a regular season game. It might have been a preseason game against Montreal. But Mark Borowiecki jumped P.K. Subban and beat the crap out of him. And I may have been like 13 or 14 years old, and it made me so happy. <laughs> Everyone hated Subban. He was so hated after the after the slash thing. Yeah, no, that was and that that was that was kind of early Borough, right? That was like the the beginning of his career there, right? And then finally with Craig Anderson, when uh, the Sens made the trade for him in 2011, I was so excited because I had been been playing season modes on NHL video games as the Colorado Avalanche for a few years at that point. And Craig mm-hmm. Anderson was so good for me in the game that when we traded Elliot for Anderson straight up, I was immediately on board in love with the trade. And then when he got the 49 save shutout in his debut against the Toronto Maple Leafs, I was just like, this guy is going to be so good for us for such a long time. And the fact that it ended out playing out that way was, it was just special. And obviously He's 39 now, and uh, he hasn't been able to steal as many games for us over the past few years. But uh, just the career that he had for us in Ottawa, I, uh, he'll always be my favorite goalie. So I was sad to see him go, but uh, a great run for Anderson in Ottawa. Oh, yeah. I mean, and Anderson, um, you know, in some ways, I think, had like the hardest job of any NHL goalie for the last five or six years, right? Like this one or two stretches where the team played competent defensive hockey, but by and large, you know, we're a total tire fire. Uh, and he was really good. Like he was, he was kind of really good throughout. So yeah, no, it, it, that trade could not have worked out better for Ottawa. And Anderson, you know, seemed by all accounts is, you know, a, a good classy dude. So, you know, all the more power to him. Moving on to some more optimism, potentially. It's sad to see players go, but with players leaving, leaves room for players to come in. And as soon as next week, the draft and free agency will be taking place. And we've talked about all of the picks that Ottawa has. So who would you like to see the Sens select with the third and fifth overall picks? Uh, That was a really good good question. And the question of the day, I think, if you're a Sens fan. So... I'm of two minds on the third pick. I should also, just by the way, I'm not like the prospect guru for our site. Um, for those who, who maybe are listening that don't don't read our site's coverage, um, we have two, two of our staff members, uh, Colin and Ari, um, who cover prospects for us, sense prospects, but then also just the draft. Um, and they've this summer just been doing incredible work if you're looking for like a comprehensive set of articles and previews about who the sense might draft and just the draft in general i cannot recommend their work strongly enough so a lot of what i'm going to say here is is based on my conversations with them um just as a, a kind of caveat and yeah if you guys are looking for that that kind of coverage any listeners you've got to check out their work they're so good so the third pick um i'm basically of two minds if uh as has been rumored quinton byfield is available at three then you have to take quinton byfield in my opinion he's 
he looks so good. Everything I read about him is so impressive. Um, I would, I would take Quinton Byfield in, in a second. So, you know, in the, in the, in the scenario where Lafreniere is going first, I think we all agree. Uh, and then LA decides to go with, with like Stutzel, I think would probably be the guy that they would take. Um, then, and Byfield's available, you take Byfield. To me, that's, that's, that's a no doubter. If Byfield goes at two, then you have an interesting scenario on your hands. I think the consensus is that the Sens would take Stutzel um, and um, Dorian kind of hinted as much when he hit his media availability this week. But I'm actually really tempted by Lucas Raymond, who's the uh, Swedish winger, who looks just dynamite. And he's been a top-rated prospect for longer than um, Stutzel. I know this is kind of a funny thing to say, but um, Lucas uh, Raymond's been playing in the Swedish Elite League, which is like, you know, one of the very best leagues that you can possibly play in outside the NHL. Um, and he's been doing it, you know, as a 16 and 17 year old, that's really impressive. I know he doesn't have like the big counting stats numbers, um, but you watch him play against that level of competition. And it's really impressive. Stutzel is a, a very attractive player. And if the, the Sens end up with him, I would, you know, obviously not be unhappy. Um, but you know, he's playing in Germany, which is a much lower level of competition. And in watching him, I, I, I'm just not quite as impressed as I was with, with Raymond. So if Byfield's available, Byfield at three, no questions asked. If Byfield's gone, I would actually probably go uh, Lucas Raymond because I just, I just think he's a slightly better prospect. I know that's probably not conventional wisdom, but that's probably the road I would go. I was going to ask about what you liked most about their games, and you, you, you went into it in the last question, and I agree with you with Byfield at, at number three if he's available. you got to go with him. What I, I like most about Byfield is that although he's already such a high-skilled prospect is that he still has another year of development to go until you would normally analyze him for his draft year because he has such a late birthday and it's yep. easy to forget that he's almost a year younger than Lafreniere. So I am all on board. If we get Byfield at number three, I'm going to be super excited. As for the Raymond Stutzel debate, I like Stutzel, not because I know enough about either of their game and having read what Colin has said about them both, I, I won't be upset if the Sens go with Raymond especially because I trust Pierre Dorian and uh, his scouting staff based on their track record. I'm not going to judge either way, but uh, Corey Clouston, who was on episode eight of or seven of the podcast said from his time in Germany that uh, they have such an abundance of upcoming kids over there. And he said that Stutzel is one of those guys as well. So just because of my conversation with Corey, I'm a little bit higher on Stutzel, but I think that the sends either way, they're going to have a home run at number three. So I like that. And then what, do, who do you think for number five overall? 
Yeah, so the, now you're getting into into kind of interesting territory, um, and obviously it depends kind of what comes before. Uh, you know, if the way that it, it plays out is, you know, it's Lafreniere, and then, I don't know, you end up with Byfield, or, you know, you do the sense to decide to go Ruta Stutz. So, like, Raymond might still be available at five. Um, I, I guess I would say that my only desire for the Sens at five is that they take a forward. Um, I really, again, I'm not a big prospect guy. So, you know, you shouldn't be taking this as like someone who's watched thousands of hours of prospect tape. I've done a little bit of research, but the one thing that I, I would say is the way that teams tend to miss at the top of the draft, like, you know, make a pick that doesn't turn out very well is almost always reaching on defensemen. It's like, if you go look back at like the last 15 or 20 years worth of, you know, top five picks, the, there are some bad misses that are forwards, but almost all of the bad misses are defensemen. And it's, it, it, I think it's for a variety of reasons, but um, my only ask of the sense would be that they don't reach on a defenseman five. That what that really means is, is Drysdale or Sanderson. <laughs> I'd be more okay with Drysdale. I would really be bothered if they took Sanderson at five. I'm trying not to like, you know, <laughs> try not to be neg- too negative about it. Sanderson would 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 bother me. Um, Drysdale a little bit less. If if they are going to go the route of a forward, you know, one of the guy the people that I think would be available at five, um, I would be really interested in Marco Rossi. Um, I think he's a really dynamic player. He's exactly the kind of guy that I think the Sens need. It's it's funny to to think about, you know, that Ottawa has a lot of um, promising young young players, but they really like you know besides um, maybe Batherson, all almost all of their their young guys are projected as like you know pretty good second line kind of players, right? And one of the reasons I'm so high on the sense grabbing Raymond, and I would probably go Marco Rossi if he's the one that's available there is because they are super high level skill guys. And I really feel like the Sens could, could use a couple of those players in their forward group. So, uh, Rossi or, or maybe, I mean, Cole Perfetti would be, um, someone who would kind of fit that mold for me as well. Um, I would be pretty interested in, in him there. So those, those would kind of be the two, uh, forwards if they go the forward route, which I, which I hope they do. It's a very interesting point you brought up about Raymond or um, Drysdale as defensemen being misses over the past few years, because the only arguments I've read about this ends not picking a defenseman at number five. And I agree with you completely about Sanderson. If they were to take him there, I would be very upset about it, but I'm actually very high on Drysdale. And I know you said earlier that players who perform well at the world juniors that that sort of worries you because they could get overhyped. But for me, his performance at the World Juniors was very good. Not only very mm-hmm. good, but just dominant. And as a 17-year-old yep. right-handed defenseman, he was the best defenseman in the tournament, which was amazing for a 17-year-old. So for me, yep. when I look at Drysdale, I get very excited about him. But uh, the only thing that uh, I've heard to make me second guess that thought is what you just said about how some of the players who have been reaches 
and have been misses over the past however many years you look at have been defensemen. So I still won't be upset if they take Drysdale, but uh, that's some some good food for thought that you brought up. So I like that point that you mentioned. Yeah, I actually, I, I, Drysdale, I'd be, I, I also, yeah, I'd, on, on the one hand, yes, I, I do think there's a danger in getting too excited about World Juniors comp, uh, performance, especially if they're Canadian because Team Canada is so good and they can make, you know, they can make good but not great players look really good, especially in a really tiny sample. But I, I will say I, Drysdale, the way he skates especially, you know, yeah, I, 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 would be, I would be much less worried about them grabbing Drysdale 5. I still think they should, they should be looking for forwards because, again, from my kind of understanding of the top of the draft, there are a lot of really good forwards to be had. And, um, you know, I think the Sens should just be taking the best player that's available. So um, that's my that's my thought. But I do I do agree with what you're saying about Drysdale. He does, to my eye at least, he seems like a, um, you know, I, as far as these, def- as far as a top defenseman prospect go, he's, he seems like a as safe a bet as, as you could have. Uh, so... And another thing about defensemen is we all know they take longer to develop. And I was thinking of asking you how players, if we were to pick some of the forwards like Byfield or Stutzel or Raymond or Rossi or Perfetti, how long do you think it would take them to make an impact at the NHL level? And where would you like to see them slot into the Sens lineup? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I think one of the reasons that I'm most interested in the Sens going with um, forwards at the at the top of the draft is because I I do think that they still need a couple of guys to to play on the top line. Uh, I think you know right now they really have f- for a good team they have one player who is a top line forward to me. That's Brady Kachuk. I think Brady Kachuk is like a legit first line forward, and that's really good everyone else i like maybe batherson is a is a is a legit first line player but i'm not i'm not totally sold i think batherson you know could be a good second line player and that's nothing to be like ashamed of being like you know a good second line player is is really good and you need those guys uh i josh norris is exciting but josh norris doesn't project like a, a, a first line center. Like he, I think he projects like a second line center, like a good second line center. Hopefully we haven't, we need to see him play some NHL games before we get too far ahead of ourselves. Um, so yeah, that if, if you're trying to, you know, pick like a Raymond or Perfetti or a Rossi, what you're hoping to get is a first line forward. Um, you know, not next year because they're all 18, right? And 18 year olds basically never are good in the NHL. Um, but you know what, I think what you're hoping for is two years from now, those are the guys that are playing your, your first line minutes. Um, and your current crop of prospects, you know, Batherson, Norris, Logan Brown, um, Fermentin, those guys are filling your second and third line. I think, I think the sense prospects are, they have enough of them and some of them look good enough that I think we can be fairly confident they'll be 
comp there'll be at least a few of them that'll be good NHLers and maybe good second and third liners, but it would be a surprise to me if any of them were like good first liners. And that's, I think that's what they need from, you know, where they're drafting. Pierre Dorian has talked a little bit about his desire to fill those roles internally. So it's good to think about the players and how they could slot into those roles. But he also said that they have to look at all their options and trading picks for players in those roles or signing op- UFAs as well would be options. So I was wondering if there was any UFA in particular or any trade trade target that you would like to see the Sens go after this offseason. Um, I mean, <laughs> the, the, the UFA that I actually really want <laughs> them to sign is Dylan DeMello. Um, <laughs> which is kind of, you know, funny to say since DeMello left, I really feel like he's a great, you know, right-handed defenseman that plays, you know, solid minutes. And he's, you know, the kind of player that I think the sense should be after. I, I, I find this stuff is a bit tough because, you know, with the sense, yeah, it would be sweet if they signed. Alex Petrangelo to like a, a five-year deal, but they're like, they're not signing Alex Petrangelo. He's not coming to Ottawa. They don't have the budget for it. So, you know, that's just kind of not happening. Um, in terms of UFAs that are actually out there, I would be like really interested on them trying to take a run, um, you know, at someone in that, in that same kind of vein as like, you know, Travis Hamanick, like if who played for Calgary, Hamanick's good player. Um, he's a right shot. Uh, he's like 29 or 30. I can't remember. Um, and you know, he might be able to be had for, for a decent number. Um, someone like that would be of interest to me. Um, there's not a lot of other players on, on the unrestricted free agent market that I would be really keen on the sense taking a run at, um, you know, the other right-handed D that are available, like besides Petrangelo, obviously are like Tyson Berry and Justin Schultz. And I don't think those are good fits in Ottawa. Um, and there's not a lot of forwards that I would be super interested in. Like, I don't know if Taylor Hall wanted to come here on a flyer, that'd be cool but i just i don't think so but like yeah someone someone like hamannick maybe you can make a, a run at someone like that um you know with with the promise that he's going to play first line at first pair of minutes that 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 would be someone i might kind of be interested in but you know to your point earlier i think they're going to be filling a lot of their spots internally um and if they're making trades what i would be mostly interested in is is still acquiring like picks and prospects i think that's still where they're at I like your thought process. Hamannick is seems like a, a really good team player. Mm-hmm. A lot of people question his uh, character, like requesting the trade out of the Islanders to be closer to home. I think that's a very good reason to request a trade. And even though he requested it, he was still such a professional for those years he was in the Islanders and a great player. And mm-hmm. although he opted out of the – bubble this year a lot of people called him out like why are you not going to the bubble and i think that was a great decision for him to be with his family and no matter where he has been he's always wore his heart on his sleeve when he's in the lineup so i 
I worry a little bit about his age at 29-30, as long as we yep. don't sign him to anything longer than a three-year deal for mm-hmm. absolute max, then then yeah, I agree he'd be a, a good player to have in the lineup. And I thought about Taylor Hall earlier in the offseason. I w- was looking and he played for DJ Smith and Jr. So did I, he? he did. So That's interesting. There, there is that connection, but it's just sort of unfathomable to imagine the Senators actually having a UF a player of that caliber agreeing to come to the team and especially because we wouldn't be able to offer the money that he's going to get on the open market and a lot of people question his his character as well so i don't know if he's the kind of guy you want influencing the young players in ottawa but his skill is undeniable so it would be interesting if the sense would at least make an offer for him a lot of uncertainty heading into next season because after tonight, there is no guarantee we will see any hockey games for any defined amount of time. It could start in December, January. We don't really know. What are your thoughts in terms of start date, amount of games and format for what you think the next season will look like? That's such a good question. Um, I'm <laughs> I, I really don't know. The, the thing about the NHL is that maybe even more than all the other North American professional leagues, they derive a large percentage of their revenues from uh, gate, from the gate, from, you know, arena sales of fans being in, in the seats. Um, you know, the other professional sports in the, like North America, if we're talking about the NFL, um, the NBA and major league baseball men, men's professional sports I'm talking about here. Um, they have big TV contracts. And so it's more palatable to play games in front of small or no crowds. None of them want to continue to do it, but you know, it, it could happen. The NHL does not have that kind of um, TV deal. And so I think, and this is just a guess on my part, that we're not going to be out of the woods when it comes to the um covid situation you know in december january which is when they were kind of originally talking about trying to get the season going and because the league really wants people to be in the seats i wouldn't be surprised if what ends up happening is the start of the season gets kicked down the road till march or april or something that that to me i know the nhl would like hate that situation because then they'd be playing hockey in the summer again and i I think they really don't want that but they need people in the seats my god they need people in the seats and i it just like you know i'm not a um doctor here or anything but it just doesn't seem like in december and january you're going to be able to put fifteen thousand people in an arena that just like i that would be shocking to me especially since so many Uh, of the teams are in Canada where, you know, restrictions on these things are tighter. So, you know, educated guess on my part, the, the league is, is going to try to start the season with fans and they're only going to be able to do that in like March or April at the earliest. So that's, that's my, my guess. As much as it breaks my heart, I completely agree with you. I'm very much prepared for there to be, another maybe even six months stretch without any hockey, which sucks for Mm -hmm. Sens fans, 
we haven't seen our team play since March already. And mm-hmm. by the time next year that we may be able to see them play again, it may have even been an entire calendar year, as well as the other mm-hmm. six teams who didn't make the playoffs this year. It really sucks for our fan bases, but that's, that's the way I see it going as well. Mm-hmm. So, and by the time the season does start next year, what are your expectations for our Ottawa Senators? Yeah, good question. We, t- we talked about it a little bit already. Um, I, my expectations are not very high, um, just in terms of, you know, how good, how good they'll be. Um, but that does, actually doesn't mean that they won't be enjoyable to watch. And that doesn't mean that I, you know, when the NHL starts, I won't be excited to watch the Sens. Because one of the things that's nice about this year and a little bit last year too is um, versus the kind of two years that came before that is, you know, it really does feel like they're moving in the right direction. There, there are young kids uh, who look promising and it's exciting to watch young prospects get better. And it's exciting to watch young, young prospects develop their game. So my expectations for next year, unless something really zany happens here where, you know, they, they trade a bunch of their picks and prospects for, kind of you know middle of the road guys and they kind of scrape into contention for the last playoff spot which i think would be a mistake and i don't think they're going to do um i think they're going to be kind of not great from a wins and losses perspective but they'll be exciting to watch uh i would be really excited to see um all three of uh norris brown and batherson have full-time roles like i I, I also think Formentin can can get up there and, and play an important role, but I would I really think those three especially, there's no point to me in them being the AHL anymore. They've ripped up the AHL for, you know, in Batherson and Brown's case, two years. Um, so, yeah, play exciting hockey and, you know, look like you're moving in the right direction uh, and, you know, kind of wait a year for whoever you're drafting this year uh, to come in and be contributors and, you know, buy yourself another season until, you know, Lassie, Lassie Thompson and Jacob Bernard Docker are, are ready to come into because the team also with its current defense core can, it, it's very hard for me to imagine them being good. Um, so yeah, kind of, kind of not great from wins and losses perspective, but, you know, hopefully exciting and lots of, lots of young promising players. I agree. And if uh, the Sens are able to, improve even more like you said that's basically all we can hope for is just like baby steps so if we move out of the basement and finish around maybe bottom 10 or like Mm -hmm. to 15 area like you said earlier 85 to 85 85 to 88 sorry points Mm -hmm. would be a really good season for us but even if we're a bit below that and picking in the 10 to 15 range i think that would be good because next year's draft isn't expected to be as strong as this year's where you know we really want to be in the top five this year with our two top five picks next year if we're in the 10 to 15 range I think that's just as good as being in the three to 10 range as well you never know who you're going to get next year so I'm hoping that uh, they can improve a little bit more and I'm looking forward to whenever it ends up coming around to watching Sens hockey again and being super excited about that yeah it's it it is it's been funny um watching the bubble hockey which at first you know was nice just because there hadn't been anything and i like i i like hockey a lot i've played a lot of hockey um 
and I wa- enjoy watching show hockey, but it really did also make me realize that I mostly follow the NHL because of the sets. Like I, I follow the NHL cause I think it's interesting and I'll like, I'm a sports guy, so I'll watch sports, but, um, it's not the same without Ottawa. So yeah, I, I really, even if they stink, <laughs> I still, it's still, they still need to be there. So yeah, I'm with you. I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful, um, that eventually we're going to see hockey again and I'm hopeful they'll be a little bit better. And, you know, it's hard for me right now to be too excited because it, there's so much uncertainty, but, um, the, the prospect of next season is exciting. So I'm looking forward to that too. And I just had one final thought on this that I just thought of now before we move on was the timing of this all really sucks for Ottawa because not only do you lose 20 games of development at the end of last regular season to watch Hogberg play and get as many prospects from Belleville into the lineup down the stretch as possible, but also if this had been next year per se when Ottawa is hopefully going to be a little bit better – then maybe they could have snuck into the playoffs and some of the players would have gotten that much needed experience as the like the 24 seed you see how much value it has for Montreal this year because Kotkaniemi and Suzuki were two of their best players in the games that they got to play and I just sort of the selfish sense fan of me says well well why can't we get that experience for for our young players that would have been so amazing for them to have as well yeah no that that's true i i'm um i'm i'm less worried in some ways about um some of the the top prospects um like i i I think that you know when they start playing nhl hockey like they'll they'll hopefully get the experience they need but it it is true It, it would have been nice for them to play in you know what essentially was kind of a, a low pressure like i mean not low pressure it's still nhl playoffs but like relatively low stakes like tournament kind of thing right that was kind of a cool thing like around montreal yeah they won they won a couple games and then they went out and yeah yay you know no one was like too disappointed right so yeah that you're right that would have been that would have been fun for the the sense prospects as well and finally, I always love to end the episode by reliving some Sens nostalgic moments. So beginning with your favorite goal in Senators history, or if you have a favorite game as well. Yeah, okay, those, those are really good questions. Uh, okay, so my very favorite goal in Sens history um, was the MacArthur goal uh, from Carlson to tie the game against Boston in the first round in 2017 uh, when they were down were they they were down in the series they were down one nothing in the series is that right uh, that's right they I were, was I was at that game I was at that game too which nice. is, which is which is why it's a it's my favorite sense goal because first of all um, truly incredible play by Carlson um, just you know skates a, a lap around the Bruins defense uh, and then makes a pitch perfect pass. And the reason it's my favorite goal is, I mean, I was there in person, which is really cool. They ended up winning in overtime, which, you know, makes it cool um, and, and important. Otherwise, you know, it would be less cool, but also my experience of it was you kind of, it, it felt like something special was happening. Like they were pressing. You could see Carlson was kind of, you know, 
in his bag as they as they would say like he was he was doing stuff and when he got that the puck and he went for that skate it really felt like something like it was like we were watching a special player do a special thing um and it just i just remember the crowd being so intense and it was a great crowd that day and they were like right kind of on top of it and everyone kind of you know drying in their breath and then he makes just this pitch perfect pass so that's that's my favorite sends goal ever um my favorite game ever is the uh the mark stone again game against pittsburgh um as part of the 2015 hamburger run to the playoffs where you know got down three nothing to pittsburgh and then scored four straight goals to uh to come back and win in overtime and stone scores an overtime winner from uh from Carlson and um, uh, Chris Cuthbert's on the call and he's got that great call, you know, Mark Stone again, which is great, 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 great call. Cuthbert's a great announcer. Um, that's my favorite sentence game. I wasn't at that one. I was, I was, I was writing for the site. I remember I was writing the recap uh, and I was watching it in my living room. Uh, my parents were at that game. Uh, they had actually, my parents had had seasons tickets for a few years. Um, but anyways, that's a whole other chamber. And um, just the, the kind of reaction from, from them, I was texting with them. I was with, um, I was watching the game with my wife, who's also from Ottawa and is a Sens fan. And just, you know, we were talking about it. Other people that I knew from Ottawa, I just, it was a game where I remember everyone just kind of going crazy. And it was such an incredible feeling to come back from three, nothing down. It really felt, you know, in the midst of that run, that kind of like, you know, made it, it was, that run was so special. And that was one of the most special moments. So that's my favorite game. That's my favorite game as well. It was uh, just because Mark Stone being my favorite player then as well. And Chris Cuthbert being the guy that I uh, looked up to as someone who I hope to have as like, if I have a fraction of a successful as a career as he had as an announcer that would be like just I would be so proud of that and he's my favorite announcer of all time and I don't mean to correct you on the Boston game but I think it was Broussard who scored the third goal in the third period that Carlson did the lap around the offensive zone did I say MacArthur uh, you said I MacArthur, I, yeah. Uh, I meant Broussard. It's, it's such a stupid mistake because the whole story is Broussard was he he'd already he cursed out Broussard earlier in the game, and they'd had this big argument um, because Broussard hadn't back checked on an earlier Boston goal, and then Broussard scores the goal, and they have that celebration where Broussard gets down and like jumps up on Carlson, who falls over because he's got the bad ankle. Oh, that's such a silly. Yes, I I know it was Broussard. Uh, but thank you for bringing that up because if I'd said MacArthur, that's a silly mistake. Yeah. And it, and no, no shame in mentioning MacArthur because his goal in that game as well, the emotion surrounding that goal yep. being his first in two years, like you can pick any three of the goals from that game besides the Weidman one, but MacArthur's first goal in two years, Broussard scoring to tie it in the third, and then the elation when Phaneuf got the overtime winner, any three of those you can call my favorite goal of all time. And oh, yeah, as there well was... as from the Pittsburgh game as well. So great choices. Uh, that, that, the FNUF goal was cool too. I mean, obviously, because it won in overtime and, you know, jubilation. But also that was at the end, if I recall properly, they were right at the end of a power play. And so they'd been pressing for the goal 
uh, for a little while. And I think the power play like had just expired if I recall properly. And, um, you know, stone controls, it's a classic Mark stone play. He's got the puck. He sizing the Bruins defense up, doesn't see what he needs. And so he kind of does this little like cut back. He goes back towards the sideboards, um, to buy himself more time until he sees the play he needs. And then he, and then he finds a nice pass to Fenef who, you know, for everything that Dion Fenef was, he could certainly shoot the puck and he rifles that one. Double Dion. <laughs> yeah, wham, <that's> wham. <laughs> kabam, yeah, good, kabam. Yeah, good, good pair McGuire. <laughs> who is your favorite Sens player of all time? Um, Mark, I think Mark Stone. Um, yeah, like it, th- I have, I would say I've got my, my top five all time. Um, I pretty, I'm pretty sure I'd still have, have stone at one, but he's, he's, yeah, it's, it, yeah. Stone, stone's probably at one. My top five are, um, and then the, the rest of the order is, is unclear, but, uh, stone, um, Carlson, Alfredson, Spezza, Hosa. Those, those are my five guys. That's an excellent top five. One Hall of Famer to be in Hosa as he's going in, and uh, I could see Alfie and maybe someday Carlson getting in as well. So that's I, that's a very th- impressive top five. I think Carlson's making it. I really hope Alfie does. He deserves it. Um, I hope he does. Have you ever met any of the NHL players or, of course, I like to open the door to any celebrities in general as well. If you've met anyone cool. Um, and I don't like, I've seen NHL players. Um, and I mean, from a distance makes it seem like I've like watched them binoculars or something. I haven't really interacted with many NHL players. Um, like in a kind of conversation beyond just like, you know, like, Hey, good game or something. So I, I can't really say that. Um, I, in the beginning of my, I guess, working life, like when I was still an undergrad uh, at U of T, I worked at uh, a hotel, a nice hotel in downtown Toronto uh, at the, like the concierge desk. And so sometimes semi-famous or sometimes actually famous people would, would come and, um, and stay at the hotel and, you know, they would ask me to do things, uh, for them sometimes. Uh, and the, the one, it's not the most famous person I've ever met, but probably the most famous person I ever met was Peyton Manning. Um, the Colts came and were playing an exhibition game here for some reason. I don't remember in Toronto, I guess when they were still, still trying to make the NFL happen. Um, and so I chatted with him for a little bit. Um, but, um, the, I guess the actual, kind of most involved celebrity story was uh donald sutherland the actor um was staying at the hotel once and uh he stayed for like three or four days um and he for some reason was really big into trying to find cool places to have sandwiches it was very funny and so he came up to my desk every day for like three or four days uh, and he was like, I need to know where the best sandwich shop is in Toronto. And it's like Donald Sutherland voice. <laughs> it was really funny. Um, and yeah, I sent him to a bunch of sandwich shops. So that's my like only real brush with fame, I suppose. That's, that's the story I've been waiting for. I've asked that question every episode and usually I get uh, hockey players, but you're the first person who's actually 
told a story of encountering a celebrity and uh, you, you did not disappoint. That's a fantastic story. I, I was trying to keep my laughter under control just so that uh, we could get through it. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, it was funny. And, and finally, you can either be the hero or the villain here. Who should episode 11 of the Unparalleled Success Podcast be named after? There's the obvious choice, Daniel Alfredson, or you could go off the board with Columbus Blue Jackets general manager, Jarmo Kekalainen. <laughs> I mean, I think, yeah, oh man, you could, I think, uh, you know, Alfredson's the gimme. Um, yeah, I guess, I guess, would it really be a Sens podcast? if we didn't name the episode after alfredson do you know what i mean like i kind of feel in a way um you know we, we would be turning our back on alfie so i guess you know hey it's your show but um maybe maybe alfredson's the way to go i am definitely gonna take your advice and go with alfie if you had have picked yarmo though i would have i would have respected your decision <laughs> i think i would have needed a better argument than i had to to go with it but yeah no i think alfie's the way absolutely anyway thank you very much for your time this was an awesome episode that was some great discussion on the sends and i appreciate you coming on the show and appreciate your time and all that you've done on silver seven i enjoy reading your work so it was a pleasure chatting with you well thanks a lot for having me it was uh, it was good convo um yeah anyone anyone's listening i'll i'll plug my site one last time check out silver seven sends um lots of uh, good writing there in particular as i said you know if you're looking for draft profiles um you know in my biased opinion the the best place to check it out so give it a read awesome my girlfriend made some salmon and caesar salad so i better go have dinner with her i appreciate Enjoy. her making dinner for me so <laughs> i'll stuff. let you, i'll let you go but thanks again and take care you too First round pick, Mason, Silverberg for Ryan, McCulloch, Kovalev, California Road Trips, Laleem, Hasek, Gerber, Carousel of Goalies. Buddy Robinson, Ben Harper, Bobby Ryan, Spartacat, Boro, Hoffman, LeBreton is a no-go. Elliot Anderson, Alex Aldis back again. Dorian says, we're a team, someday we will win the cup. We didn't start the rebuild. It was always brewing since 2009. We didn't start the rebuild. No, we didn't start it, but this time we've got it. 